We're in our Q&A series. We're answering questions. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. That's really what this series has been. So there's a phone number right up here. And you can go ahead, haul out your phone. If you've got a question, text that in. We will do our best to get to it. We do have a few already in the queue from last week that we did not get to. And then there'll be one more week of Q&A next week. So if we do not make it to your question, you just have to come back next week. You get to come back next week and hear it. That's a better way of saying it. You know, one of the things, um, I'm Becca, by the way. Um, (laughs) There we go. Tristan, Tristan's excited to see me. Um, One of the things that we wanted to say before we got into this is that we don't, Samuel and I don't at our house have this secret knowledge vault. Um, Well, we kind of do have a vault, but it's called Google. So when you guys are asking us questions, um, we just want to make sure that you understand that we do not hold all of the knowledge, all of the answers for this. We find the answers. We have the same access. You have the same access to information that we do. So we look, we look at the word. We'll Google something like Samuel was saying earlier. We'll Google a verse. Try to find out where it is. Look at the word. Um, read different papers or um, different pastors, what they have written about a topic. You guys all have access to that. So last week, Samuel said, make sure that you are checking up on what we're saying. Don't just say, oh, well, Samuel said it, so it's right. Or Becca said it. Well, you probably wouldn't say that anyhow. Anyhow. (laughs) So just know you have access to the same information, and um, we just wanted you to know that. All right. So we say this every week, but we're going to open up with this. There's three things to remember in a Q&A. Number one is we want to try to find a scripture that answers that question directly. Number two is if we can't find a Bible scripture, we're going to try to find a Bible principle that covers what we're talking about. And then number three, if there's not either of those, then I'll give you my opinion and you can do whatever you want with that because it's just an opinion. But those are kind of three things to remember when it comes to Q&A. And the first question that we're going to start off with is this one. Being a non-denominational, what are your thoughts on infant baptism as a sign of God's covenant for your children. Um, Infant baptism. When the Bible talks about baptism, it is a symbol. And in Acts 2, verse 38, it says this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized. And that really is in order. Um, You don't get baptized and then repent. And so if you talk about infant baptism, um, you, you haven't repented yet. Maybe you haven't even done anything to repent of yet. I, don't, I wouldn't even know. But it's repent and be baptized. Now, if you were baptized as a child or maybe you've had some of your children baptized as infants, um, I would say I look at that as a sign of, you know, parents who say, I want to dedicate this child to God. And I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's evil in any way, shape, or form. But if you look at the biblical outline for baptism, it's repent and then be baptized. If we look at the example that Jesus lived, is he was baptized as an adult. And so I would say, repent and then be baptized. And here, we don't have a, an age that somebody needs to be in order to be baptized, but if somebody understands what repentance is, then they should be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And the other thing when, that often, the other question that often comes up with this one is this, is, well, is baptism a requirement for salvation? And the answer to that one is no. If you look at the thieves that were on the cross with Jesus, 
Uh, there was a thief on each side of him. One was mocking Jesus as they were on the cross dying, and the other one says, hey, he has done nothing wrong to deserve this. We have. Tells him to cut it out, and Jesus looks over at the guy and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now somebody quick splash him with some water. No, he doesn't say that. There's, he just says, today you will be with me in paradise. So is it a requirement for salvation? No. But does the Bible say repent and be baptized? Yes. So yes, make that decision, and then baptism. Most definitely. You want to add anything to that? No. Oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> he always says, I, I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to say about that one. He's like, you will you, when you get up there. So he's right. Um, in First Samuel, so one of the things um, that we do practice here is infant dedication and child dedication. And so, you know, if you would like to dedicate your child's life to the Lord, which just means you want to say, we are going to raise them in a Christian household to love and serve the Lord. And we would like our church family to, to walk beside us in that. We, we will be offering that in the future. Um, and we get that from scripture in first Samuel where Hannah um, dedicates Samuel to the Lord. All right, this next question was actually specifically for you, and it was this one. What does God think of humor? Does he appreciate our idea of humor, a.k.a. sarcasm? They must not think I'm funny at all, and so somebody else <laughs> needs to address that. Oh, man, I really wanted to find, like, a joke about this, but, but I didn't. Instead, I was just like, well, I got to figure out what it says. So, okay, humor and sarcasm are very different. And our culture's use of sarcasm, I would argue, is very different than, than what the actual definition is. So I'm actually going to share with you a few definitions. Sarcasm is defined as the use of irony to mock or convey contempt, like derision, mockery, ridicule, or scorn. Humor is defined as the quality of being amusing or comic, especially as expressed in literature or speech. Wit, however, is the keen, I smiled when I said that, like, oh, <laughs> anyhow, the keen perception and cleverly apt expression of those connections between ideas that awaken amusement and pleasure. Now, one thing I want to say is the word sarcasm actually comes from the word sarks. It's a Greek word, sarks, and it means to, to tear away flesh. Um, and it's not, it's not a friendly thing to do. Sarcasm in general, the way our culture uses it, is more what I would say is wit. wit. Sarcasm is meant to tear somebody down. And it's never, that is never an acceptable thing to use our words for. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language, which I would say harsh sarcasm is. Um, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Ephesians 5, 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So there are some examples in the word, actually, of sarcasm being used. Jesus himself used sarcasm when he was talking to Pharisees often. Um, at one point, he said to the Pharisees, um, have you not read? And if you know anything about the Pharisees, I actually looked up the definition of Pharisee too because they are a member of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance of the traditional and written law. So they were the people who had read it all and memorized it all. So when he says, have you not read? It, it was a clear affront to what they are responsible for doing. Um, this is really not funny for a humor question. <laughs> 
Anyhow, there are quite a few examples of that. So I would just say um, an added thing is be sensitive to the people around you. If, if your humor is in any way cutting somebody down, then it's not funny. Um, and if the person that you're speaking to, Samuel and I had this at the beginning of our marriage where I, I would think something was funny and he would be like, well, that's not very funny. And she thought every time I tried to say anything serious, she thought it was funny. <gasps> like if we had conflict, like if we had disagreed on something, she'd start laughing. And I'm like, this isn't funny. This is hurtful. And she's like, <laughs> it made her laugh more. And then it hurt me more. I was like, what is this? Like, I'm, I'm a serious guy. Yeah, yeah. so I, I had to learn, you know, that really is very disrespectful to, for, for him. And I but had he, to get some thicker skin, too. Well, he just learned how to kind of joke a little bit, you know? So, so I just be sensitive. Be sensitive to the people around you. But um, God loves humor. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was so fun that they had to tear kids off of him. And I don't think kids usually flock to people who are always somber and serious. And people said, oh, he's a glutton and a, and a drunkard. And the only time I've ever had people accuse anyone around me of being a, drunken and a, glut, glut, or a drunkard and a glutton is because they act a little crazy and they laugh a lot. So, yeah, that would be my, my thoughts on that. Yeah, Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal are there, and it was a showdown between the false god and God. And he says, you guys go first. Get your, get your God to answer by sending fire from heaven. And they're up there dancing around and it's not working. And so Elijah starts teasing them. He's like, better sing a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's on vacation or, or maybe he's on the toilet. Like, he can't hear you. Yeah, have some fun. Don't be, don't be too much of a, a stick in the mud. Um, yeah, have some fun. God gave us a sense of humor. He most definitely did. You look at some of his animals and you're like, he's got to have a sense of humor. And, um, and we were created in his image, right? We so the fact that we have the capacity to find things funny is in and of itself yeah. obviously from God. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we had a question come in. You're not going to find this one in there. This is one that just came in and is this. I feel like my spouse doesn't value our marriage anymore. I also feel like we're both unwilling to fight for our marriage. How do we find common ground again? Um, number one is, is couples that stay together are together because they're together. Stay together, okay? There's not like a magic, like the couples that made it, they knew something that you don't and they're not telling. It's, it's just the way it is. But stay together, Marriage is a pre-decision about how you're going to treat somebody for the rest of their life, regardless of what they do. Um, and that means before you got married, when you said you were getting married, it's, it's a covenant before God. And you made a pre-decision that no matter how hard it got, I mean, we literally say in our vows, till death do us part. Like, in be for better or worse. We literally say that. The reason we say that is because Jesus said, those who marry will have trouble. Um, you're, Isn't you're, that encouraging? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a pre-decision on how you're going to treat somebody for the rest of their life, no matter what they do. And that's, that's hard. Um, but you keep working at it. No matter what, you're going to, I mean, if you go and start over with somebody new, you're going to have to build all from the beginning again anyhow. 
So why, why bother with that, you know? If you're both leaning out, I would tell you to lean in. Lean in. I don't feel it. So what? What the Bible talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. And it lists what love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It does not seek its own. It is not jealous. Okay, none of those are feelings. Every one of those is a choice. Love is a choice. The way you choose to treat your spouse is a choice. So regardless of what your spouse does, I would encourage you this, is you lean in, you die to self, you can't control the other person, but you can control you, and you do everything that you know how to do. And then for the things that you don't know how to do, you ask somebody. Um, you can go to professional counseling. Winning at Home is a great place to go. Um, it's in Holland. It's not too far away. We definitely recommend that place. You can call church here. We can sit down with you. You can sit down together, but lean in. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where it's watered. So where you put effort, that's where you're going to get return. So put effort in. And that, and that doesn't mean try one day and be like, oh, it didn't work. Try the next day. Oh, it didn't work. And then just be done. The, the word tells us, Hebrew 12, 11, it says, um, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but rather painful. But later, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. And so the discipline of leaning into your marriage when it's, when it's painful, it, it's not easy now. It, it, it's not. Um, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness, not only in you, but in your spouse and in your marriage as well. Lean in, lean in, lean in. Marriage is potential. That's what marriage is. It's potential. And it can be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Or the pendulum can swing the other way, and it can be the closest thing to hell that you can experience on earth. But no matter where you are, it still has that potential, and that pendulum can swing back towards heaven. It really can. And I would just encourage you, don't worry about the other person. None of this like, mm, they missed this elbow. Like, you hearing this? This part's for you. Is to just look and be like, okay. And maybe even on your way home, be like, what part of that, ask your spouse, what part of that do you think applies to me? Because I know I have blind spots. And then don't even worry about what they think. Don't worry about their side. If they're going to, you, you worry about you. You can't control the other person. Also, I don't really buy it. I don't really buy that both of you are consistently leaning out. If you even ask the question. I mean, I, if you ask that question, that means there is hope. That means that is a first step in leaning in. Asking. If you really were completely leaning out, then you wouldn't even bother with it. So, um, yeah. Okay, next question, and it's this one. If you pray, and this one just came in, you're not going to find it in there either. If you pray and believe God for it, do you need to pray about again? You like how I just leave it out? I, the way that you write is the way I say it. Just, I know that it should be there, but anyways. Okay, I like this question. I like this one a lot, a lot, a lot, because I've wondered about this one too, and been like, wait a second, if I pray and believe, why am I praying again? Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So here, there's two examples that come to mind. Number one, Jesus, which mind you, this was Jesus. I did the little hand drop because it was Jesus. Like, wow, he did it. Okay, he prays for a blind man and asks the man, can you see? And the man says, I see people like they're trees. And Jesus prays again. That's huge. Jesus prayed twice. So there's definitely an okay to pray at least twice. 
if you're Jesus, okay? If you're Jesus. Then the other way, the other one is, there's an example that Jesus gives in the Bible. And he says, it's a parable. I love this. Jesus told stories with everything. It's, the Bible says that he didn't teach anything without a parable, without a story to explain it to people. And he says, there was a certain widow and she goes to this judge and the judge is unjust. And she brings her case before him and he throws it out. And I'm paraphrasing. And then he brings, she brings her case before him again and he throws out over and over. But she keeps pestering him. She keeps just going at it. Finally, Jesus says, the judge says, I'm sick and tired of you asking. I'll give you justice and takes care of it. And Jesus says, if a wicked judge will do that, how much more will your heavenly father who loves you, who loves you? So I believe that again, he's saying, ask, ask. It is okay to pray more than once. I really do believe that there's two examples. Jesus did it twice. And then he says there, if if this unjust judge will do it, how much more will your heavenly Father do that? And then the third thing on that front is this. Saul is on his way to go persecute Christians. A bright light appears, and he becomes blinded by the bright light. Jesus, God speaks to him, sends him in, and he prays. And he prays, and he's asking God to give him sight again. He's praying and there's a, there's a man in the city, what was his name? Ananias, thanks. Thanks, Chris. So Ananias is in the city praying. Why Paul is over here, Ananias is over here. Paul is praying, Ananias is here. Ananias gets a word from the Lord that tells him, hey, Saul is praying to be healed. Go heal him. Go pray for him so that he can be healed. He's praying, but Saul excuse me, Ananias is the answer to Saul's prayer. Ananias has to get up, walk, and actually go over here. God did his part right away and began and was moving on Saul's behalf when Saul prayed. But it didn't come around. It didn't manifest instantly. It did not happen. It didn't happen instantly. So absolutely, keep praying. Keep praying. David, excuse me, Daniel in the Bible, he's fasting and he's seeking God for an answer and he doesn't get the answer. After 21 days, an angel appears to him and said, the minute you set your heart to learn, to know this, I was sent to give you this answer. But the prince of Persia, if I'm remembering correctly, stopped me. So he was being stopped. So keep praying. Keep praying. I don't know what's holding up the answer to this prayer, but I'm going to pray against it. I'm going to bind Satan and infirmity, anything in between. I thank you, God, that if it's boldness for the person that needs to come and be a part of this solution that you're using to answer this prayer, I pray for boldness for them, for insight so that they can see whatever it is. So you pray and you thank God for it. And at the same time, you can pray for it and you can also thank God for it. So there's four things on that one little question that I absolutely love because I've asked that question many times myself. Been like, how can I do this? What's important here? If I pray once, if I pray again, does that mean I'm not in faith? Because I want to act in faith, but I haven't seen it yet. So that was what I would say. I would encourage you, keep praying. Find the devil. Thank God that it's coming. Go for it. Want to add anything to that? That was good. Okay, next question. We will, we will move on. We will move on. All right. Um, I got to get to some of these on here, and then we'll get, we'll get back to the, uh, the ones that just came in. All right. 
If God wants the best for all of us, why he took away the people I love, why people that are the kindest had to go through cancer and death, how is that fair? Okay, that's not fair. You're right, it's not. We live in a fallen world where a lot of junk happens. It most definitely, definitely happens, and it is not fair in the slightest. Something that can be encouraging, and as I say this, I do not want to make light some of the pain that you might be experiencing right now or the pain that this person is experiencing. But 2 Peter 3.9 says this, says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Here in 2 Peter, he's talking about God not coming back right away. He says, because if he came back, the Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear. Why can't we have this now? Why doesn't he come back and solve this now? And that's really what's being addressed in the Scripture. And he says, because he doesn't want anyone to perish, because there are still more people who are going to come and be saved from eternal damnation. Because here, understand this, you have a body, but you're a spirit. And your spirit's going to live forever, forever. It's just one of two places, heaven or hell, smoking or non, however you want to put it. (laughs) And really what we're deciding now is where that's going to be. And God says, I want every single one that can to choose. Jesus says, God, he says it in the scripture. I said, I put before you life and death, choose life. He says, I'm waiting. And yes, there is some horrible things that are happening that he he could come back today and stop. But I believe with all my heart that when we do go to heaven, that in light of eternity, we will look back and we'll say the same thing that Paul did. My light and momentary troubles. That's how he referred to the troubles that he was going through. And he talks about them. He was shipwrecked, beat, stoned, like with rocks, not the other kind. It's legal now. But that kind, the, the, the stone kind, he says, it was awful. And he says, those are light and momentary troubles. And there's a lot of awful things that happen. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Um, so for everybody's birthday in my family, I make... Um, something that we call apple pancakes, and it's delicious. It's, it's so good, but it takes a while to make. So, um, I mean, the apples, you, you brown them in butter, and then you put them in a pan, and you sprinkle them with cinnamon sugar, and then you mix a flour egg batter with milk on top, and you bake it, and it's just so good. I mean, we'll go through two pans of this, and you, we usually end up with visitors that stop by, like, oh, apple pancakes? My dad, he just comes <laughs> in all the time. All the time he knocks. The other day at the door locked, and he goes around and comes in the slider because it was unlocked. I'm like, what are you doing? We love him. We do. Love you, Dad, if you're listening, yes, wherever you are. Yes, I, I don't think he's up there. Anyhow. Um, anyhow. Yeah, <laughs> neither do I. Um, anyhow, what, what if I decided one day that I just really didn't want to wait to bake it before I ate it? What if I was just like, you know what, I just, I just, want, I just want it now. I just, I'm just going to eat it before I bake it. And so I take the flour and I eat the flour. Well, that's disgusting. You know, I mean, the sugar, the apples, that, that would all be fine. That would be delicious, right? The vanilla, oh, no way. Raw eggs, uh-uh. 
The thing is, when it comes to our pain and suffering, we don't see yet what it will produce in the long run. We don't see the final product. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So it, it would be silly for me to judge my apple pancake recipe if I ate it all separate. But God promises us that he's going to work it all to good. And so he'll allow suffering. Um, but we need to step step outside to the best of your ability and recognize that God loves you and he will work it for good. And furthermore, it says in um, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. That's Deuteronomy 31, 8. Um, you know, one other thing that I wanted to add to this um, is I was talking with a, a mama who's a refugee from Rwanda yesterday, and she said to us, I mean, it was kind of a shocking conversation because she came over here five years ago with her then four children, and her oldest was 12, and she said, you know, in Rwanda, w there was war all the time. They, I mean, she's been a refugee since she was um, three years old, and she says, there's war everywhere you go. You're constantly moving from one country to another, and she said, so we finally said, we're going we're gonna to go to the United States so that our kids can be safe. And she said, here, they don't, they don't die, but they don't live. She said, we had to pray for every single meal when we were in Rwanda. She said, we had to pray that God would provide because if we did make money, because we were hard workers, the, the soldiers that were in charge would come and they would take the money. And she said, we had to rely on God for everything. And my kids loved the Lord and they understood that we needed him. And so I think part of God allowing that pain and suffering is that this is not our home. And we need to have a longing for our true home. That's great. All right, we've got another one here. here. This is from last week. It says, if God knew the end before the beginning, then why did he tell Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree, knowing full well that they were going to do it? Choice. We talked about this a little bit in one of our questions last week when somebody asked the question similar to, is God in control? God didn't want to control any of us. He didn't want to control Adam and Eve, but we get to choose to have relationship with him. But in that, he also had a plan, the plan of redemption. In fact, in Revelation 13, it says this in verse 8, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. We're not talking about the beast right now, just in case you're wondering. But all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. When it says the lamb who was slain, that's talking about Jesus. He was the lamb that was slain, an innocent lamb that was slain. And that, that picture, that imagery there is of what had to be done in the Old Testament to cover sin, that Jesus did it, but he did it forever. So God knew that they were going to eat that fruit. Yes, he did, but he also had a plan but it says here, from the creation of the world about how he would send his son, this perfect sacrifice to make a way. He knew and so we have that choice. Acts 10, 34, 35. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He shows no partiality. Really good one. And then I got one more that just came in that I want to jump to because I think it's just real important. And uh, 
It was this one. It says this. I have a friend take her life last year due to depression. Do you think I will see them in heaven one day, or do you think one who takes their life goes to hell? So I would love to give you a clear black and white scripture on this one, but I can't find one. I can't. And I ask other people. I say, hey, I've done funerals. These aren't fun. I said, what, what do you tell somebody? Where do you see? What do, you, do you see a biblical a, a principle in Scripture that I don't see? Help me on this one. But here's the thing. I don't know. I really don't. I think, because you have somebody that says, hey, it's murder. They're taking their own life. And you have somebody else that says, well, they couldn't be in their right mind. I think that they're, they're, they're not in their right mind or they wouldn't do it. But here's the thing. I don't know 100%. I lean towards, and this is, again, this is my opinion. I lean towards that you're not in your right mind and that there is forgiveness for that and that somebody who is and has accepted Christ's forgiveness will be in heaven and that we will get to see them. But I do not have a black and white scripture for that. I know that God's grace is sufficient. It most definitely, definitely is. But I do not have a black and white scripture for you on that one. I think that they'll be there. I really do. But I think the battlefield that we fight the devil on is our mind. And that's why I think it's so important. The Bible says we are sober and we are vigilant for our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for people who he may. And I love that it doesn't say, and you've really got to go back to the Greek on that. It doesn't say who can. It's those who he may. And when I was in school, I asked, if I, can I go to the bathroom? I was second or third grade. My teacher's like, I don't know, can you? And I'm like, can I go to the bathroom? I'm like, what's going on here, teacher? And she's like, I don't know, can you? And I'm like, what grade was that? I think it was like third grade. And I almost start peeing myself because I'm like, I'm trying to honor my teacher here. I don't want to get in trouble when I get home. And I'm asking her if I can go. And she's just asking if I can. I'm like, I know I can. This is so messed up. And finally, she goes, you need to say, may I go? And I'm like, God, may I go? And I just took off. I remember running down the hallway. I remember how far the run was and just thinking, that evil teacher. I just had to use the restroom. But there is something to those words, can and may. That he's seeking whom he may. He wants permission. And we do not want to give him permission to devour, to give us any thoughts. We don't listen to it. The Bible says that we cast down every thought that doesn't line itself up with the word of God. We need to know what scripture is. And when depression comes, we look to God's word. We don't look to medicine. You can take medicine, and I hope it helps, but you need to look to God's word. That just needs to be the first place that we go. As we take scripture as God, as, as medicine, the Bible says that it does, that it, it, does, it does good as medicine. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Put it in your body. Hear it. Listen to it. If you don't have um, the, Bible, the YouVersion Bible app, get it. It'll read it to you. Listen to God's word, put it in you so that when the devil comes and he attacks with thoughts and, and depression and, and the spirit of depression, whatever it is that you have God's word and you fight it. He said, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm a child of God. I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am more than an overcomer. 
I can do this. And you feed on that so that those thoughts, the depression, so that those things, whatever is coming at you, cannot come. Jesus said this. He said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. That's why he came. And so we need to be in God's word. You get a new car, I doubt you go in there, get the manual out and go, well, this is junk and throw it out. I don't want to know what the maintenance schedule is, this, when to rotate tires, how often I need to change oil. Changing oil just slows me down. I'm not doing I'm not looking at that. I don't care what oil type. I'll put it all. Oil's oil. You start filling it up. Capacity? Who cares? It does, I don't know. It's a little lot. Just add some more oil. I don't need to change oil. I just keep adding it. Try that. It's not going to work. And really, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And if we'll take and we'll look at God's word, we will live that life to the fullest. And the way we do it is by applying God's word to our situations, getting in there and finding it. And this is what I'm going to do. It's the manual that he's given us. It's so, so good. He said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And that does not mean that you're not going to go through hard times, because you are. But it means that you know, God, I have victory in this, and I can walk through this. You can walk through it with that peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. I talk about it all the time, because it's so good. Because it's peace that doesn't come from the situation that's around you. It's peace that comes from outside the situation that comes from God, that's in your heart. And that no matter what, yeah, everybody else is like, oh, it's scary. I don't know what's going to happen over here. I don't know oh, our job or family or, oh, it's flu season, whatever it is. Oh, I don't know what's happening. You're like, I got peace. I know what's happening. My peace that comes from God. And we can all have that. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.